joy to see you. Oh, I have missed you all, and I'm delighted to be here with you today to share the Word of God. Would you find in your Bibles 1 John chapter 2? 1 John chapter 2 is where we're going to be looking today. And I quickly want to give you an update on Mr. Stockdale. Most of you know that uh, Craig R. fell out at our farm in October and broke his back in five places. And he has been wearing this enormous clamshell brace that keeps him immobile. He can barely move. His arms sort of stick out like this. I told him he looked like the tin man, but we're calling this the armor of God, the breastplate of righteousness. So on Friday, we went to the doctor to see what they would say. And in the x-ray showed it is healing, but he will have at least one more month in this contraption. But that seems like nothing after what he's been through. And they have ruled out surgery. Very, very good news. So thank you for praying for us. Praise God. We are so grateful. The lady that checked him in had beautiful long nails, and I commented on them. And she said, oh, she loved to have her nails done. And I said, me too. I always have my nails done. I'm a bit vain about them. You didn't know I was that shallow, but yes, I am. And I always have them done. And I said, to tell you the truth, they're the only body part that has not failed me yet. <laughs> I'm telling you the rest of this has turned on me. Well, praise God. Okay, let's get into our lesson. I copied this from our workbook. It says, the greatest benefit of spending time in God's Word is the power of transformation, which comes by way of application. Beloved, we're after transformation, are we not? We want to be changed into the likeness of Christ. And so we study God's Word. So let's dig into it. The first thing I want you to see is what I call Christ, our Savior. Look with me in 1 John chapter 2, just verse 1 and 2. I'm telling you, this is a powerhouse of theology. My little children, John writes, I'm writing these things to you so that you may not sin. Oh, I wish that we could not sin. I wish God had made us where we could not sin. And he says, I'm writing these things so you may not sin. And if anyone sins, there you go. If anyone sins, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ, the righteous. And he goes on to say, and he himself is the propitiation for our sins. And not for ours only, but for those of the whole world. Oh, did you notice John's very tender feelings towards his readers? He says, my little children. It's like he is calling us up that we might come close and hear what he has to say. Charles Swindoll writes this, This is a family meeting in which his readers are sitting at the spiritual grandfather's feet and gleaning timeless wisdom. When he opens his mouth, his words aren't meant to impress or to chide. This isn't a rebuke or a scolding. These words are loving instruction and concerned Warning, this is not lofty sophistri uh, sophistication or sophist oh well, 
It's something that starts with an S. And, uh, but loving wisdom that he is speaking to us. In this section, he lays out a warning against committing sin, writing, I'm writing to you that you may not sin. A genuine believer pursues a life of personal holiness and practical righteousness and begins as that process of sanctification takes place, begin to sin less and less. Dr. Rogers used to say God did not fix us so that we could not sin anymore. He just fixes us so that we cannot sin and enjoy it anymore. Can I get an amen? In the house. Oh my goodness. But he goes on to say that if you sin, when you sin, you have an advocate with the Father. In the high court of heaven, Jesus acts as our representative, our lawyer, if you will, and represents us before the Father. We know from Job that Satan often shows up and accuses us to the Father. And so when we sin and we bring it to the Lord and confess it and repent of it and receive his cleansing, in heaven, beloved, there is a judge, that is God the Father, sitting there. And there is the Lord Jesus, our advocate, and there is the enemy of our soul. And he is accusing us. He's telling on us, but he's telling the truth. He'll say something like this. Did you see your daughter Jean this morning? She was cross with her husband without cause. Her words were sharp and unkind. And Jesus would say, that's exactly what she did. Yes, she did that, but Father... She belongs to me. And because of my shed blood, because of my shed blood, we are faithful and just, the scripture says. The Lord is faithful and just that when we confess our sins, he cleanses us from all unrighteousness. Beloved, he cleanses us from every sin. The sins we know we commit, the sins we don't know we commit. The times that we have uh, stepped out of line and didn't even realize it. All of that sin is under the blood. The sin we committed before we were saved. The sin we commit after we were saved. Oh, beloved, don't you understand that when God the Father looks at me and looks at you, he sees us completed Christ. He doesn't see us out here floundering, living in this broken world, doing the best we can, uh, trying to rise above the downward pull of the flesh. He sees us in Christ. He sees us as who we are fully formed in Christ Jesus. He is our advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ, the righteous. The Bible says he who knew no sin became sin for us that we might become the very righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. That's who we are. And beloved, we spend our Christian life. Yes, let's just pause there. That is who we are in Christ. And as we walk this pilgrim's path in the midst of this sick world that is so broken, the world seems to be on fire and our culture is just unraveling. I'm telling you, if you watch the news, you will hang your head in shame and disappointment for what is going on in our world, in our nation, in our state, in our city. Oh, dear ones. You and I, who know the Father, 
We live in a whole different realm because of Jesus Christ. We are beloved of the Father, beloved. In Song of Solomon, the uh, writer of Solomon, uh, the writer of that book says, I am my beloved's and he is mine. Oh, I am telling you this morning, if you are doubting who you are in Christ, may I tell you, the Bible says you are loved by the Father, loved by the Son, and dwelt by the Holy Spirit of God. That's who we are. And we work to make our practice match up to our position in Christ. Ephesians says we're seated in heavenly places, beloved And yet we're living in the midst of this terrible world that's just gone mad. But the Spirit of God in us is working in and through us that we might walk in holiness and righteousness and truth. He's an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ, the righteous. And he is the propitiation for our sins. And not ours only, but also for those of the whole world. That word propitiation means satisfaction. When Christ went into heaven, during those three days he was in the tomb, he went and presented his blood before the Father, just as the high priest had been doing for generations. The Lord Jesus Jesus took his own blood and the Lord uh, presented it to God the Father. And the fact that he received it is evidence in the fact he raised Jesus from the dead. And because of that, because of that, he is able to be our uh, propitiation. He is able to be our sacrifice. He's able to be our advocate, beloved, because Christ is our Savior. Christ is our Savior. Oh, my goodness. He is the propitiation for our sins and not ours only. Do you see that also for those of the whole world? Christ died for the sins of the whole world. But listen to me. His blood is only applied to the sin account of those who have received him by grace through faith with repentance. But he died for the sins of everyone. Christ our Savior. Let's think for a moment now about Christ our life. Look with me in 1 John chapter 2, verse 3 through 14. By this we know we have come to know him if we keep his commandments. The one who says, I have come to know him and does not keep his commandments, it's a liar. And the truth is not in him, strong language. And whoever keeps his word, in him the love of God has truly been perfected or matured. By this we know that we are in him. The one who says he abides in him ought himself to walk in the same manner as he walked. And how did Jesus walk in total obedience to the Father? Beloved, verse 7, I am not writing a new commandment to you, but an old commandment which you had from the beginning. The old commandment is the word which you have heard. On the other hand, I am writing a new commandment to you, which is true in him and in you, because the darkness is passing away and the true light is already shining. The one who says he's in the light and yet hates his brother is in the darkness until now. 
The one who loves his brother abides in the light, and there is no cause for stumbling in him. But the one who hates his brother is in the darkness and walks in the darkness and does not know where he's going because the darkness has blinded his eyes. I am writing to you, little children, again, a term of endearment, because your sins have been forgiven for his name's sake. I'm writing to you, fathers, because you know him and have been from the beginning. I'm writing to you, young men, because you have overcome the evil one. I'm writing to you, children, because you know the Father. I have written to you, fathers, because you know him who has been from the beginning. I am, have written to you, young men, because you are strong. And the word of God abides in you, and you have overcome the evil one. If you were to sum up this passage, beloved, basically you would come up with this idea. That obedience to the Lord is the sign that we belong to him. Now, not legalism and not checking off a box, but by love and respect, we are to obey the Father. We're to learn the Word of God. You cannot obey what you do not know. That is why we study the Scripture, to know what God says so we can walk in power and righteousness and truth, so that we can know what it is that is expected of us. And beloved, getting it one time a week is not enough. You and I have to become self-feeders, Bible students, digging into the Word so that God can speak to us directly about those things that concern us. Obedience, beloved, plain and simple, is the acid test for whether we belong to Jesus or not. Evidently, Paul, John is writing to the church to correct an issue that is happening there in the church. That is, there are those that are saying they belong to Jesus, but they're Life denies that fact. And he's saying, if you do not obey the Lord, you are not his. And if you say you do, why, well, you're a liar. Strong language. When Craig and I were first married, we bought our first little home out in Eads. And it was not a cottage even. It was just a cabin. And it was on a huge lake. My husband loves to fish. He was all about the lake and not so much about the little house. But we had so many years there that we enjoyed living in this little place on this beautiful uh, lake. And then God began to give us some little boys. And we had Jason. And two years later, we had Dawson. And suddenly that that little cabin was way too small, but we enjoyed it immensely, and we stayed there until Jason was four and Dawes was two. Now, our little cabin was at the end of a long dirt, gravel, dirt and gravel road, and there was hardly any traffic on it. We were in a, a little cul-de-sac, and most of these other homes were used just on the weekend in good weather, and so uh, the boys and I played out in the street because there was never traffic out there. We take the little tight bikes out and push them up and down the street and we had a little bulldozer we dig around in the dirt and all that kind of thing well when Jason was four and Dawes was two the Lord moved us to a home on Walnut Bend now this was back when Germantown Road was just two lanes but traffic was already picking up and Walnut Bend was becoming a cut through so I knew I had to get the boys to understand that we no longer were going to play in the street and not only that we had to be very careful about the street because of the cars so I took the boys out one day. Now our driveway had a slight hill, a slight incline, and it went up to a parking pad, and then it turned, and you drove into the car park. So a, a car 
port is where you parked your car. And so you went up like this and then turned around like that. And then here was our side yard, which went into our backyard, which went into the back of the house. And so I took my little boys out and I found a line. It was a, a, a joint in the side, in the uh, concrete pad. And uh, it was way up at the top of the hill. They're close to the parking pad. And I said, do you boys see this line? And they both said, yes, they did. And I said, you cannot cross that line unless me or daddy are holding your hand. And I said, do you see that it slopes down right out into the street? And do you see the cars are coming? And so you are not going to be allowed to cross this line. Do you understand? Jason nodded. Dawson nodded. Although at two, I'm not exactly sure he knew altogether what we were doing. But anyways, he was having a large time. And so we're out there and I'm telling them, now not that, not that uh, line down there. And not that line back there. This is the line I'm talking about. Is everyone clear here? This is the line. If you cross this line without having me or dad with you, holding your hand, you're going to get in trouble. There's going to be consequences. Is everyone clear? And they're nodding their heads. Yes, they get that. And I said, it would be very dangerous if you crossed this line and, and possibly got right out into the street. And so you need to understand. And I went over and over again with my little boys. And then I lined them up on that line. And I made them march behind me as we walked that line, walking it back and forth. And I said, I want to make sure you understand this is the line that you are not allowed to cross. You can play on the parking lot, on the parking pad. You can play in the carport. You can play in the side yard. You can go in the backyard, but you cannot cross this line. Are we clear? And both of them nodded, yes, yes, they were. And so I turned for us to go on into the house. And Dawson came with me, Jason did not. And when I looked back at him, he said, could I ask you a question? I said, certainly. He said, what if... One arm goes out over that. <laughs> would you call this disobedience? Yes. Yes, I would. I went back over it. This is the line. You're not to cross this line. Not even an arm is to go over this line. Do you understand? Yes, yes, he thought he had it now. So I turned again to go into the house, and he said, wait a minute, wait a minute. He said, what if I just lean way over? Yes, that's disobedience. You cannot cross this line. No body part cross this line. Do you understand? Well, yes, yes, he thought he had that. Turned to walk back in the house the third time. He put his chubby little leg over that line. And he said, is this disobedience? Yes. Yes, it is. Yes, it is. And consequence will follow if you do not do what I'm telling you. No body part across this line. Are we clear? Yes, yes. I said, Jason, listen to me. And I got down on my hands and knees so I could see him eye to eye. And I said, listen to me, son. You can play up here where we park the cars. You can play in the carport. You've got this whole side yard we've prepared for you. Look, a play set in the backyard. All of this is for you. And here you are trying to figure out just how close you can get to the line without getting in trouble. Beloved, you and I do the same thing 
in the spiritual realm. We say, God, I know what you said, but let me just ask you something. If just a foot goes over, are we talking disobedience here? And the father would say, yes, yes, look what I have given you in Christ. Look at the riches that are yours, the joy, the peace, the loving kindness, my mercies that are new every morning. Look at all of this. And you're over here seeing how close you can get to the line that I have told you not to cross. You are wasting your time instead of enjoying what is yours in Christ. Oh, beloved obedience, it cannot be overstated that we are to obey the Lord. Obey the Lord. He says, again, let me get my glasses there. In verse 3, by this, we know that we have come to know him if we keep his commandments. It's just that simple. Obedience is evidence not only to God, but to a lost world that is watching our lives. And if you think no one is watching, you are sadly mistaken. And the one good thing about the terrible culture we're living in is that the kindness of Christ in and through us shines forth into darkness and it causes the unbelieving world to wonder what is up with her when they see us walk in the fullness of Christ when they see that we experience the kind of joy that is so outrageous that it cannot be explained even in the midst of horrible trials when they watch us with peace that passes understanding, they wonder, what is up with you? Beloved, obedience, obedience, be obedient. It's just so simple. And he says, I'm writing to you little children. That is those young new converts that need to grow up in the Lord. He says, I'm writing to you young men who are strong warriors in the Lord and know how to uh, engage in spiritual warfare. And he says, I'm writing to you old men, fathers, that you, that you might operate because you are strong. The word of God abides in you. You are obedient. And you are setting the pace for those coming up after you. Plain and simple obedience is what you and I need to be involved in. It's very interesting to note that John does not address the issue of carnal Christianity. As, as if he thinks there's no room for that. Only for those who are pressing on in the Lord. Carnal believers are those who are genuinely saved. But they never grow in the grace and knowledge of Christ. They may adopt a level of spiritual ritual, but that is little more than behavior modification. They often adhere to a standard of pious behavior, but they are not studying the word and they are not investing in the word. They are not growing in the Lord. They do not have a sensitivity to the prompting of the Holy Spirit. And they remain dysfunctional believers, trapped in a cycle of seeking the approval of man while ignoring the greater calling of living for the applause of one. May I encourage you, beloved, to walk in 
obedience. The last thing I want you to see is Christ, our treasure. Look in chapter 2, verse 15. Do not love the world, nor the things in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For all that is in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the boastful pride of life is not from the Father, but is from the world. Verse 17, the world is passing away. And also it's lust, but the one who does the will of God lives forever. Oh, beloved, don't love the world. It is passing away. All of the trinkets of the world that the media has become exceedingly powerful in promoting... All those things are passing away, and they will not satisfy. They will not satisfy. And if you're raising children, you need to make sure that you're living in such a way, uh, not loving the things of the world, because those little folks are watching you. And if you are constantly trying to capture the trappings of the world, they are watching you and seeing that. Beloved, don't love the things of the world. Love the Lord. Walk in his spirit, walk in his word, study his word, follow the promptings of the Holy Spirit. And again, I tell you that we've got to know this book in order to obey it. If we don't understand what the word says, if we're not applying it to our lives, beloved, then you and I are walking contrary to the things of the Lord and as others are observing, we are sending out a mixed message about who Christ is. Beloved, uh, several years ago, back in 2020, uh, Mr. Stockdale was there at our little farm uh, where our cottage is. And um, he was doing some work for someone, and part of his job was to test concrete cylinders. It's too much to explain, and it really doesn't matter. But uh, uh, one evening, I had gone out to watch him do this, and he put on heavy leather gloves, and he took out this cylinder that was in a, uh, a, the concrete was in a silicone cylinder about this large. And he took a carved knife, and he sliced it down four times on each side and peeled that down so that the concrete could be tested at another facility. The next night, I was fixing dinner, and he was out there doing the same thing. And as I was fixing dinner, Craig R. came in holding his hand and dripping blood. Now, I don't do well with blood, and turns out my husband not so much either because he was quite pale, but I, I really don't do well. I said, what happened? And he said, the knife slipped. And he said, I slipped it right into this meaty part of his hand. He had pressure on it, and it was still bleeding, bleeding heavily. And I said, honey, I don't do well with blood, and I don't know what to do. I said, let's wash it and get it real clean, and then let's see what we need to do. Well, I could tell it was really deep. 
And so now the decision was, do we go to the emergency room? It was about 7 o'clock at night. Now, COVID was at a high point, and this was the time when everybody was trying to avoid going to the hospital. So I was trying to decide, is it wisdom to risk it and take him to the emergency room, or should I just try to tape it up really good? And so he finally had enough pressure on it that it stopped bleeding profusely. Our daughter-in-law, Catherine, is a nurse, and so I called her and described what had happened, and she got into her nurse mode very quickly and was wanting me to uh, describe it. And I was like, okay, let's see. And she said, uh, and I said, I'm trying to decide, should I go to the emergency room? I, I just don't know what to do, Catherine. And she said, can you describe how deep it is? And she said, could you take a picture and let me see so I can sort of help you judge? And, and uh, um, so I said, Catherine, I don't think I can do that. Uh, really, I don't. And I said, not only that, we just got it to stop bleeding. And so uh, I said, I just don't know what to do. And she said, uh, Gina, I'm going to get on the phone and pray for you. And I know the Lord will show you what you are to do. And so uh, Craig and I prayed together and I was asking the Lord for wisdom, what we should do. And finally came to the conclusion he needed to go to the emergency room. That was the wise thing to do. So I packed him up and we had towels all around it and ice trying to keep it from bleeding. Went to um, Baptist Collierville to the emergency room. There were very few people in the parking lot. And so I told him, hopefully you're not going to have to wait a long time. But I said, the thing is, you're not going to be able to write and hold pressure on your hand. And I said, you wait here in the car and I'll go in and I'll see if they'll let me fill out all of your forms. Then I'll come back and get you and you can go in and be seen about. And so I go in and there's a table and the ladies are in what looks like hazmat. Uh, they've got mask on and, and a shield on and all kinds of stuff on. And I explained to them what's happened and they're very sympathetic. You know, their heads are tilting like this as I'm talking. And uh, so I go through my spiel that I think I need need to fill out my husband's paperwork because he's not going to be able to. And they said, honey, we're not going to let you be able to let you do that. He'll have to come in. But she said, he can dictate it to us. It'll be just fine. You don't worry about it. You just bring him in and we'll take care of him. So I go back out, get Mr. Stockdale, bring him into the emergency room and uh, leave him with those two sweet ladies who promised to take care of the man. And so he is uh, holding his hand and he's answering these questions. I go back and get in the car. It wasn't very long. He was back out. They did not put stitches in it. They were able to glue it and uh, put all those little strips over it, and, and uh, he was good to go. And so he began to tell me what happened. And um, I said, I'm so sorry they wouldn't let me fill out your paperwork. How did that go? And he said, well, that was so funny. He said, do you know what happened? And I said, I have no idea. And he said, you know, that girl had a mask on the nurse, and she had the shield on, and, and she's asking me questions, and she's filling out my form. And he said, honey, then she asked, do you bathe? And uh, Craig said, I'm sorry, do I, do I bathe? And she said, yes, do you bathe? And he said, do I bathe? And she said, yes, do you bathe? And he said, what has that got to do with my injury? And she said, do you bathe? And he said, I'm sorry, I don't understand. And she pulled her mask out and she said, vape, do you vape? <laughs> I said, honey, if you had said yes every day and sometimes twice, that would be in your permanent record. You and I have to understand in order to obey. 
And beloved, you're never going to be able to obey God's word if you don't know it. The psalmist said, these things I've hidden in my heart that I might not sin against you. Oh, beloved, we've got to study this book. And it takes time and effort and energy. And then we've got to walk by faith. The Spirit of God enabling us, prompting us, uh, taking those truths and, and solidifying them in our life. And do you know why? It's because we are beloved. Beloved, he loves us. He loves us more than we could possibly fathom. He loved us so much he died for us. He considers us his treasure. He is proud to call us his own. He is delighted to declare us to be heirs of God and joint heirs with Jesus Christ. Oh, he loves us so much. You and I are blessed and highly favored, loved more than we could comprehend. His affection towards us cannot be measured in human terms, for it exceeds every kind of love we know in our earthly journey. You and I are loved. You and I are treasured. You and I are joint heirs with Jesus Christ. Think on that for a while. And the next time the enemy comes against you, you remind him, I am beloved. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, thank you so much for your word. Oh, it is so rich and powerful, so instructive to teach us how we are to live. Father, I thank you for your word and I thank you for your spirit and how he works in our hearts and lives. May the words of our mouth and meditation of our heart be pleasing unto you. May we operate by faith. May we operate in your grace. May we understand that while we are seated in heavenly places, we have been given the power to overcome the downward pull of the world, the flesh, and the devil. Teach us to walk without sin. Teach us, Lord Jesus, to when we do sin, to quickly go to our advocate to ask for forgiveness and cleansing. Oh, Lord, you love us so much. We fail you so often, and yet you still love us. Father, we are praying that through this semester, all of us will get a fresh concept of how much we are loved. Oh, Lord, would you bless the daughters of the king who have gathered today online or here in person. Father, would you surround them all with your favor as a shield. Will you pour out your spirit upon them that as they walk in your way, you are well pleased. We delight to serve you and you alone. Blessings, Lord Jesus. Thank you for all you have done for us. In your sweet name we pray. Amen and amen.